0: This is my favorite magic trick with my mom's favorite glasses. This is my favorite cake. These are my favorite tonsils. This is my favorite fish, Fluffy. This is my favorite spider tickles the tarantula. Wake up, Fluffy. Where's my spider? You can have some when I'm done. This is my grandpa's favorite keychain. Blink if you can hear me. Please wake up! Today I bought my favorite unicorn. This is my favorite ant farm. This is my favorite puppet, Collie. This is my favorite hat, Sombrero. What? Casavilla. This is my favorite wrestling move, Sleeper Head. Oh, a chocolate. <laughs> Body slam. Look at these guns. This is my favorite toy. My baby brother. I ate it. All. Welcome to First Methodist Mansfield. My name is David. I serve as one of the pastors here. And if you're here for the first time, we're delighted to have you as our guest in any of our worship venues this weekend. We're starting a new series, as you can probably tell, a series called Favorites, and we're playing on the idea. That one of the things we love to do from a very early age is to talk about our favorites. I don't know if you uh, looked forward to show and tell. As a kid, I did. I thought that was the greatest day in elementary school when you could bring your new toy and show that off and see what everyone else had. And, you know, even today, I still like to talk about my favorites. If I find a new restaurant in town, for instance, that I love, I love to tell people about. I won't do it right now, so I don't want to lose you for a little while. But, But I love that. And maybe you do, too. You love talking about the things that are your favorite things. Things. And so what we're going to do is we're going to bring that to the scriptures. And what I'm going to share with you over the next six weeks are some of my favorite scriptures. Now by favorites, let me tell you what I mean by that. I mean that the scriptures that for me in my life and my journey have been the most meaningful And the most transformational in terms of how I think about my life, what it means to be a person of faith, what it means to to be in relationship with God. And in some of those instances, like today's scripture, what I'm going to share with you was really a turning point for me. It was when I began to understand faith in a whole new way from the scripture that I'm going to share with you today. But before I do, there's a few things I want to lift up to you. The first thing is uh, GPS also stands for Grow, Pray, Study. This is a guide that we produce each and every week. Uh, inside GPS you will find a scripture reading, a short scripture reading, and a short reflection that is meant to be a resource for you in your own personal devotion time. We believe that following Jesus is a lifelong process of growing in deeper love with God, with others, and in service to the world. And one of the ways that we grow in deeper love with God is we grow in love of his scriptures. And we want to give you uh, some help in that. So if you've never done GPS Or if you were really good at it uh, last spring, but over the summer you've been not as good as you want to be, you want to recommit to that practice, what I want you to know is over the next six weeks, the guide is really designed for someone who's starting for the first time someone who's recommitting uh, to that practice. And so if you are not currently doing this, uh, you can pick one of these up on your way out. You can also sign up online, growpraystudy.org forward slash subscribe, and it'll come to your email inbox uh, every single day. Would love for you to join us uh, in this journey. And then the last thing I want to lift up is as you leave worship today, if you'd like to pick up one of these cards, these are cards for teachers in the Mansfield community. Um, They are cards for you to pray over. To share a short little note, drop them in the mail uh, to one of the teachers uh, here in our community. We started this last week. We sent out thousands of cards. We've already gotten emails back from teachers who were so appreciative of the surprise blessing they got uh, in their mailbox uh, this week. And it just so happens that we have over 5,000 here in our community. So we have more cards, so please pick some up uh, on your way out. Uh, So let's dive in uh, today. I was not here last week. Uh, Pastor Johnny preached for you. I had the weekend off. Which as a pastor, what you do when you have a weekend off is you take that opportunity to rest and relax and go visit other churches. So we're a little bit weird, but that's what I did last week. I went to three other churches, one uh, to hear a friend of mine preach, two of them I went to because I knew that they were highly successful churches, churches that were growing fast, and and pastors go to to learn from that, to see, was there anything we can learn from the success? So two of those churches are churches that I knew a lot about. I'd heard the pastor preach before, but I'd never been to that campus before. I'd never uh, come to any of the services. I'd never entered into the building. I was a first-time guest, like some of you may be today. So I did last week what some of you may be doing today. And if that's you today, if you're here for the very first time, if you didn't know when to arrive, where to park, what door to go into, where the bathrooms were, how early you needed to get here, well, what we were going to be doing, if you're a first-time guest experiencing all that for the first time, I think you should pat yourself on the back. In fact, today, you should go buy yourself some ice cream, give yourselves a treat, because what you're doing is really hard. I have a profession that is centered in going to church, like that's pretty central to what I do, and yet even for me to walk into a church for the very first time, it's kind of scary. You don't know what to do, you don't know how early to arrive, you don't know where to go, you don't know what to expect, it's, it's brand new, no one knows who you are, you're wondering if you're kind of sticking out like a sore thumb because you've never been there before. It's a it's an intimidating and it's an sometimes awkward experience to come for the very very first time. The other thing that hit me last week while I was uh, experiencing that was that not only is it just kind of awkward to do that for the first time, but there's some things that we do in church that from a first-time person's perspective, they're just a little bit weird. I mean, they're just weird. They're just not things that, that you do in other social settings. Like, for instance, all of our services today began with singing, where else do you go in your life where they begin with singing? I mean, can imagine if you went to work tomorrow, and in the staff meeting, they said, we're going to open with song. I mean, it's just kind of weird. You may love your singing voice. You may think, I don't know about this. You may be sitting next to someone who you've never met before. And so while the worship leader is saying, sing out loud, sing out strong, you're thinking, I don't know about this guy next to me. And if he will appreciate what he hears from me, it's kind of weird, It feels a little bit odd for the for the first time person. Then there's a a prayer time and you may not pray on a regular basis, may not know exactly what to do. You may be thinking, do I have to close my eyes here? Like is this like Indiana Jones where you don't want to see what's happening? You know, what's what does this mean? And then some guy gets up to talk, and and because you were nervous, you know, coming in, you had a few too many cups of coffee, and you're thinking, I really got to go to the bathroom, but I'm in the middle of the row, and I don't know how much long he's going to talk for. You know, you're a little bit, that may be happening right now. I don't know, but it's just, there's just some things that we do that are a little bit weird. And, and, and because of that, I think a very common question that people ask about church and everything that we do in this environment, whether it's the singing or the praying or the talk, whatever it is, a very common question is, what's the point? What's the point? I mean, what is, what is this thing that we're doing here? What is this all about? Why is this, why is this something that should be a part of my life? You, you may be here for the first time because your spouse said, hey, we're going to church. This is something we need to do, and you're here, and you're listening, and you're thinking, okay, but I don't know what the point is. What is the point? And I want to start by just saying this. I think that's a fair question. I think that's a fair question. What is the point? It's a question that I asked in my own life. What is the point of all this? And so the scripture that I want to share with you is the scripture that changed my understanding of what the point is of what this is all about, of why we gather together, and why we sing, and why we think that's important, and why we pray, and why we open up the scriptures, why we do everything that we do in the church, my perspective on that radically changed with this very simple scripture. So to understand that, let me tell you a little bit of my story. I grew up going to church. My dad was the pastor, so you sort of didn't have an excuse. I mean, on these two hands, I can count the number of times as a kid, I wasn't in church uh, on the weekends. When I was growing up, there was three places that I, I was at all times. I was home, I was at school, or I was at church. I mean, that's all we did. That was my life. That was everything that I knew. If I wasn't at school, I was at home, or, or after school. If we weren't going home, we were going to the church to do some things. So growing up in that environment, it was very clear to me that there's something important about this thing, I mean, dad's there all the time. You know, mom does a lot of stuff to volunteer at the church. We spend a lot of time at the church. I had the sense that church was important. But if you would have asked me why, like why, why is is church such an important part of your life, I probably would have struggled to give you an answer for that. The best I probably could have come up with was something like this. I would have said, you go to church to be a good boy so that God will love you. That was pretty much what I thought. I thought you go to church and you go to be a good boy so that God would, would love you. That's, that's why you go. You have to go every week to again show God that you're a good boy and make sure that God still loves you. That was, that was really what, what, what I would have come away with in those very early years of going to church all the time, being a part of everything that church was about. I'd say church, you go to church to be a good boy so that God would love you. And along the way, there were some things that were kind of added on top of that in, in my early thinking. So one of those what that came from the Bible was to be a good boy means that you shouldn't lie. Like that's in there, right? You shouldn't lie. That's not a good idea. So if your dad hears that you were playing hide and seek in the sanctuary and you were messing with the sound system and running around with the offering plate on your head, you know, if, you, if he found out about that and confronted you, you should tell him what happened. Totally hypothetical situation. But you should be honest about that, right? I learned that in church. That's how you be a good boy. You don't lie. You tell the truth, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But there were some other things that were added that really, I mean, they weren't from the Bible. They were just things I learned from being a part of church. So one of those was, uh, like I told you, I grew up in church. I grew up going to church. Not, not like kids' church with the lights and the videos and the Dancing on the stage and the stuff that that our kids get to do and G-Force and some other, I mean going to church, like big church, like big church with big organ and big choir and dad's, dad's wearing the big black robe. Like that was church for me growing up as a kid. And what I learned as a kid is that when you're a kid and you go to big church with all those big things, your job is to sit really, really still and don't say anything. I mean, don't make any noise. You, you got to be very, very quiet because you did not want to embarrass your parents, particularly the one up front in the big black robe in the midst of this this big church. And And this may not surprise you, but as a kid, that wasn't easy and it wasn't very fun. I mean, it was really, really hard to sit still for an hour and not make any noise and and color on my paper very, very quietly and 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 just to deal with that. That wasn't very, very fun. And so here's what also got added into this understanding of being a good boy and making sure that God, God love you. I just sort of adopted this mindset that God must not like fun. Like he he must hate fun. Like, do not have any fun because God's not into fun. God's into rules. God's into regulations. God's into you following those rules and then following those regulations. And being a good boy, so that God would love you. Now, here's what you need to understand. None of this was explicitly taught to me. Like this this wasn't the content of my dad's sermons growing up. Like this this wasn't something he would have expressed to me. In fact, at that age, if I would have shared that with him, he probably would have been a little appalled. Like, that's what you're getting out of this. But yet at a young age, that's where I was. And as I grew in my life, And as I developed, you know, there there was, it grew into my teenage years, it it got harder and harder for me to fit into this mold that I thought I needed to fit into to be a good boy that God would love. And as that got harder and harder, guess what question I started asking? What's the point? What's the point? What's the point of all this? Now, now that may be a little bit, that may describe where you are in, in some ways. That that you may think, hey, you come to church because you got to be good, because you want God to love. You know that may be a part of your thinking. It may be because you may have grown up in a church where that was more explicit in what you heard. You may have heard a lot of turn or burn, or you better be be good, or you don't want to make God mad because this could go really bad for you. I mean, that may have been something that was explicit that you heard, or you may be new to faith and you may think that's what being a Christian is about. It's about not making God mad so that God God would love you. But what I'm going to share with you is a scripture that changed that for me, that helped me see my life, the purpose of my life, and God in a whole new way. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10. This is Jesus. This is what he says. He says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and life to the full. So the thief comes, the thief comes into your life to steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you, but Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, what, do you, what does the thief mean? You can think of the thief in many different ways. You can think of the thief as the devil. You can think of the thief as sin. You can think of thief as just stuff that creeps into your life. The idea here is that there are lots of things that creep into our life, that show up in our life, and the purpose of those things is to steal from us, to slowly erode what is good about life. But Jesus says, I am not one of those things. Now this next thing I'm going to share with you, for some of you are going to go, how could you have missed that? That is so obvious. This is such a simple idea. But here's what I want you to know. I was a part of everything that church is about for decades before I understood this very, very simple truth. And it's this that Jesus did not come to take from my life. Jesus came to give me life. Jesus did not come to take from my life. Jesus came to give me life. Decades of doing everything that you're supposed to do in church. Going to church, sitting still, being quiet, doing all the things that you're supposed to do, being pretty good at Bible trivia. I mean, all of those things before I understood that Jesus did not come to take from my life, Jesus came to give me life. And that changed everything for me. I remember in those, in those teenage years when I just, I started to have the sense that God wanted something to do with my life, but I wanted something to do with my friends' lives. And, and I knew that what they were doing and, and me involved in that was probably not something that Jesus wanted me to do. And I remember at the time thinking, Jesus, why do you want to take away from me? Why do you want to take away my fun, my life? I remember later on when I had made a commitment to Christ, I said, I want to live as a follower of Jesus. And I started feeling that God might be calling me to be a pastor. And at first it was like, whoa, I know what that means. I know what that life is like. I know what's good about that. I know what's not so good about that, what's hard about that. And there was a part of me that thought, Jesus, why do you want to take from my life? What am I supposed to do with these other ambitions that I have in my life? Because that was my perspective. I missed the idea that what Jesus had come to do was to give me life. Now today, to hear me say that, that sounds so ridiculous to me. Because I can't imagine doing anything else with my life. I love what I do. I feel like I'm, I was born to do this. I love it. But there was a point in my life where I thought, Jesus, why would you take away from what I want from my life? And then you take that to, this, to the scriptures and to the teachings of Jesus. What, the way he prescribes that we are to live. And again, you see this thing that, that Jesus didn't come to take away life. Jesus came to show us how to live life. Life. Let me just give you one example. So Jesus talks a lot about forgiveness. You've probably heard that before. Even if you don't know much about the Gospels, you've probably heard, hey, there's something about forgiveness here in this whole Christianity thing. Jesus talks about it all the time. One of uh, Jesus' disciples named Peter once came to him and asked him a very important question. It's a good question because it's the question we would have wanted to ask Jesus. The question was, what's the limit on this forgiveness thing? Like this, okay, it's really important. Totally get that, Jesus. You have talked about it a lot. But seriously, when is enough enough? And that's the question we would have wanted to ask, right? Like we're thinking in the back of our heads, hey, you don't know this person, Jesus. I mean, they really need a lot of grace. When's, what's the limit? And Peter, he's generous. I mean, he even offers Jesus the suggestion. Jesus, this is what I was thinking, maybe seven times. Reasonable, right? And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, no, not seven times, but seven times seven times. Now, if you're counting in your head, you've missed the point, just so you know because the point is this the point is that forgiveness is a big deal it's not about counting how many times you have to forgive it's about learning that forgiveness is a part of your life and there may be moments in life where we think we think to ourselves jesus why would you ask me to do that i don't want to do that i'm angry and i have a right to be angry I've been offended. I've been hurt. And this person doesn't care one bit about that. And there may even be times in your life where you might even say, Jesus, why would you take that away from me? That feeling that I have, that that, that hurt that I've experienced. And yet we recognize that when we hold on to those wounds, when we won't release our grip on on the thing, the places where we have been hurt and harmed, when we allow anger to reside in our hearts and in our souls, it stirs within us. It can slowly poison us and, and, and transform our life. It can kill what is good about life. Here's how Anne Lamott says it. I love the perspective this gives us in the teachings of Jesus. She says, to not forgive is to drink rat poison and then to wait for the rat to die. We don't realize it at first, but we're holding on to that, to that hurt and that anger and that bitterness, and it stirs within us to the point that the person who is harmed, the person who is poisoned, the person whose life begins to deteriorate is not the one who we are upset with. It's ourselves. And so there is a practical, reasonable argument that can be made. That forgiveness is the way that leads to life. Not something that takes from us, but something that gives us life. This simple idea for me changed everything. It changed how I thought about the scriptures and what they were asking, the way in which they were asking me to live, and it changed the way I saw God. It changed everything for me. My wife and I have uh, two kids. We have a daughter who just started fifth grade and a son who just started kindergarten. So in our house, we're in a year of transition. That's two new schools for us. Our daughter going to to fifth grade, to the intermediate school, to middle school, and and our son going to kindergarten to the the big school. And and so far, a couple of weeks into it, I, I would have to say that the daughter is doing a lot better than the son. Like she was excited about going to a new school. You know, there's all sorts of new things at fifth grade that makes her feel you know mature and old. You move classes and you have a locker and all sorts of cool stuff. And she's met some new friends. And the son's done pretty well but he's kind of transitioning from wide open summer where you do whatever you want all day long to now you have to wake up early and go to school and listen to instructions and, and, and follow them and listen to your teacher and not fall out of your chair, you know, those, those kinds of things. And he's doing pretty good with everything except for falling out of the chair. We knew that was going to be an issue, but, but, but here's the deal. By the time the day is over, like he's been at school all day long. He's done a pretty good job of listening to his teacher, of following directions, of staying in line, you know, doing all those things that they want him to do in school. By the time school is over, he's just done. I mean, like if self-control is a muscle, his is exhausted at that point, you know? He's got nothing left, which, which has meant that over the last couple weeks, you know, the afternoon time into the evening has been a little bit of a struggle of listening to mom and dad and following instructions because he's just done. He's had it. He's at all that he can do of that throughout the day, and we've had some, some difficult nights because of that, but, uh, but last week, we had a good one. I mean, it just went really, really bad. There was something that he wanted to do at the end of the day. And, and it, he I mean, was just downhill, he wasn't listening, you know, it was just not good. And so finally mom said, you're not going to be able to do that thing that you want to do before you go to bed. And that was it the world crumbled. I mean, the, the, everything fell apart in his little six-year-old mind. He had had enough, that was it. The tears flowed, the fit was amazing. He had lost it, and it wasn't getting any better. I mean, this was just the worst thing that he could ever imagine, that he wasn't gonna be able to do the thing that he wanted to do before bed. Mom was gonna send him to bed with just his milk, and he, and so it was just a struggle, I mean, just to get him down the hallway, down to his room, but, but you get him there. You get him finally calmed down a little bit and he's there in his bed and we went back in the living room and we just sat on the couch just exhausted like oh we love school this is great you know and, and it was like 10 or 15 minutes of just just kind of silence just kind of okay the both kids are in bed we'll, we'll try again tomorrow hope tomorrow is a better day and about 15 minutes into this silence he comes walking down the hallway and he walks in the room and and he says i want to tell you something And we're thinking, this is it. (laughs) I mean, this is the, he's going to confess his sin. He's going to repent, you know, he's going (laughs) to, this is what he, this is what he chose to say. He said, mom, I just want you to know that I don't like your attitude. I am, and I know you think I'm exaggerating, but that is exactly what he said. I do not, I do not like your attitude. I do not like the decisions that you have made because you ruined my day. That's, that's what, he spent 15 minutes sitting in his room thinking about what to say, and that's what he came up with, you know, you know. What, what can you do but laugh at that, you know? I mean, how do you keep a straight face when that's all the six-year-old can come up with is, I am, I am disappointed in you. I do, not like, I, I do not like your attitude. I don't like that decision. You've ruined my... I mean, you, you cannot help but laugh. And, and the reason you cannot help but laugh because, is because in the back of your mind, you have this in the back of your mind, he's six. He's six. Like, that's what you think when you're six years old. That's how you see mom and dad when you're six years old. I mean, he doesn't understand why he can't have M&Ms for every, every meal. He doesn't understand why he can't drive the car. He doesn't understand why he can't set up a gymnastics arena in the middle of the living room. I mean, There's so many things he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand, no. He doesn't understand why we're doing the things that we're doing. He doesn't understand because he's six. And it would be unrealistic for us to expect that at six years old, he would understand why we're doing the things that we're doing and making the decisions that we make and and responding to him the way that we are because he's six years old. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. But one day, one day we hope that he will. One day we hope that he will. One day we hope that he will understand what it means to be a parent And what it means to to spend an inordinate amount of energy every single day just worrying that he's okay. We're hoping that one day he will understand the, the perspective of a parent who wants nothing but the best for him, who who looks at his life and looks at his future and is just hoping that we are doing the right things, that when we think about failure in this area of our life, I mean, it's just the worst thought in our minds that we would somehow fail him as a, as a parent, and while we want to give him everything that he wants, I mean, you see that that look, that's, that, that face of, you, you want to just give him everything, but you know that's the pathway to disaster, so you're trying to make good decisions. You're trying to direct him in the right way. You're trying to do all these things from the perspective of a parent because you love him. You love him. And you hope that one day he will see that. One day he will understand that because on that day when he sees it and he understands it, you know what he'll also know? He'll know how much we love him. He'll know how much we love him. He'll know what it means to be the parent who wants nothing but the best for him. And, and over the course of his life, uh, parents who, who have done everything that they could do because they wanted to give to him. Now, if you're still asking, what's the point? If I mean if that's part of, of, of what you're going through, I, I think that's okay. I think it's a good question. It's a good question because at the very least, it pushes you to the more important question of how do you see God? Is God the parent who is eternally disappointed in you? Is God the parent whose expectations you can never live up to? Or is it possible that the perspective you have had on God might be a little bit off and God may see you differently than you realized? Jesus said, there are lots of things that come into your life and the purpose of those things is to take from you to slowly erode what is good about life and about you but he says i i am not one of those things instead out of love i have come that you might have life let's pray God, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us. That you would speak to us, Lord, in any place where we might misunderstand your heart and your character. Lord, I know there may be some here today who are wrestling with this idea that you're trying to take something away. And unable, Lord, to see how you might be desperately trying to give. So speak, Lord, into that misunderstanding. Speak, Lord, into that, in that perspective that is just unclear. Help us to see in all that we do here, the real real point of it. To know your heart, to receive your blessing, and to be sent forth to share that blessing with others.